Welcome to the Chasing Presence podcast, co-hosted by Santi and Mike. This is a space where we share our insights for how to live a more spiritually aligned life. Join us on our journey to expand consciousness, live with purpose, and awaken to our true nature. All right, everyone. Excited to be here with you all today talking about more things related to the spiritual path and chasing presence. Although we don't really chase presence, we just embody it and become aware of it and stay present to the moment. So I wanted to start off today, Mike, by talking about adversity. And I think that adversity is something that is very prevalent in your life as of late. Um, Feel free to share as much or as little as you would like in terms of specifics. But I think a common theme that most people on this journey understand is that when you are ascending, when you are leveling up, when you are improving your life, um, when you are trying to make changes, when you are trying to step into a new version of yourself and create a new reality for yourself, it is no easy feat to do so. And the universe will typically test you. And it may test you in a variety of different ways to make sure that you don't become too comfortable, to make sure that your ego doesn't become too grandiose, and to make sure that you are aware of maybe certain gaps in your own development, and to make sure that, that in a way, that test in the moment can seem very um, debilitating or stressful, and you may have some resentment towards it. But we end up realizing that through these tests, they were really there in order to make us stronger and to be, make us more aware and to make us more compassionate individuals. So I'm going to kick it over to you. What what have you been feeling lately? What kind of insights have you been gaining? And if you could just share kind of a little bit about what's going on, that'd be great. So first of all, um, if I was not the person I am today, and I'm not saying this as, you know, me being arrogant, oh, I'm like this amazing person. I'm not. But I know that I have had to do a lot of personal development in order to get where I am. Uh, and in terms of when I, when I mean getting where I am, it's this mindset that I have right now that allows me to consistently perform things that give me a sense of stability while still knowing that things are bound to spiral out of control sometimes. And it's like out of, it's out of my control. It's, it's, one of those things where we kind of have to release control, but it's, it's hard to do that. I mean, I I don't think that we're meant to fully release control. I think that it's, I'm going to butcher the quote, but the, the, the quote that God grant me the serenity to uh, accept the things I cannot change the courage, the courage to change the things that I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Um, it's like we are going to have certain things in our power that we can change, like our mindset and the actions that we perform every day, how we show up in the world. We do have control over that to a certain extent. And if we tell ourselves that, you know, it's the adversity that is not allowing us to show up or it's this person that's not allowing us happiness, 
then that's a victim mindset. And we've talked about that before where it's like, first of all, if someone is, if you think someone is causing you harm, it's generally because that they're probably going through their own tribulations that they don't know how to properly process. And because of that, they are, they are, they think that doing something to another person is going to make them feel better when in, in reality, it just doesn't do anything. It just perpetuates. But sometimes we don't have, some people don't have the awareness to really understand that. So as someone on the receiving end of some malignant action that someone might be performing against you, I am speaking from experience right now. I'm not going to get into details, but I've been going through some adversity lately um, that has that has largely been due to actions that someone has done to me. But I think that although I have been not feeling very good, I have been experiencing a lot of negative emotions. I still in the, in the back of my mind have this mindset that I have been cultivating that has allowed me to push through it with a knowing that everything will be okay. It's like the this too shall pass type of thing. I try to tell myself that as much as I can. However, it's not going to make you feel better all the time. It's it's one of those things where you just have to go through the shit. You have you have to sift through the 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 quicksand, you know, and you kind of just have to like Yeah, actually I, I like this analogy right now. I would say that going through adversity is a lot like getting stuck in quicksand where it's like the more you fight it, the more it swallows you. And it's like the more you can just like kind of like calm down and just be solution based and just be like, okay, what can I do that's going to like actually help this thing? Because first of all, the negative emotions are going to be there. There's not much you can do about it. If we're going to continually think and perpetuate the cycle of these negative emotions, then it's not going allow to allow us to fix it in a, in a prompt manner. So it's for me, the best thing that we can do in times of adversity is to maintain control the best that we know how in the healthiest manner possible while maintaining the mindset. So for me, exercising and cold showers and meditation. Yes, it is very difficult to do those things when I'm already going through negative emotions. It is difficult to do uncomfortable things when you're already feeling uncomfortable. Like I, I, I mean, I will be honest, the past two days I haven't worked out because I was in a really bad mood and I was still in a bad mood today, but I forced myself to exercise. And during the exercise, I was not feeling good. But after the exercise, I felt a lot better. And it has been shifting my mood. So it's sometimes we really just need to get good at feeling bad at, and at knowing how to manage those negative feelings in times of adversity. And for me, it is you've established routines in this stable part of your life. Let's say it's like, you know, you read, you meditate, you you do cold showers and you you exercise, you you eat healthy. If you do all these things in spite of adversity, then, and also you have the good mindset where it's like, yeah, this is going to end. It sucks right now, but that's okay. It's going to make me stronger. 
when you're out of that and you're looking back at that experience in a month, you're just like, oh my God, I'm so glad I stuck through this. I'm so glad I didn't go back to my vices that, you know, when you're in that state of extreme discomfort, do make you feel better temporarily, but then you don't grow from the experience. You numb yourself, you, and then you look back a month later and like, you might just still be stuck in that cycle of vice. So it's, I think the main learning experience I've been getting from this cycle of adversity, because, you know, we all go through cycles of adversity. We go through cycles of, you know, feeling great about our lives. I've gone through multiple of those cycles throughout the last two years since, you know, I, I had my spiritual awakening. And the one thing I've learned is that as long as we can maintain that, that, that control, that healthy control of our lives, those routines that we know are good for us in spite of what is happening. And you, and you keep telling yourself that everything's going to be fine eventually. And you're going to go through more um, adversity as well. It's not like this is the end. It's like, you're going to go through more, but the times where life is great is way more worth than when times are bad and succumbing and allowing yourself to fall back into vice. My, my art of flow teacher actually had a really good quote for this. It's that the good times are actually a celebration of how well we managed the bad times. And I, I really, I really think that's a great quote. And the, the other thing I, I, I found in my phone is a year ago, I actually wrote a voice memo to myself. I wrote a voice memo that said, Hey, you know, my life is great right now. I'm so grateful for everything. I'm so grateful for my support system and all my loved ones and all my friends. And you will experience adversity again. It's almost the, it's the thing that's basically guaranteed in life and you should welcome it because it's the thing that's going to allow you to grow. Um, and then things are going to be good again. And then things are going to go back to being bad again. And that's just the, that's just what we've kind of like been born into because, and I, we can talk about this later, but you know, contrast does force gratitude. Sometimes it's hard. It, we do take things for granted and sometimes getting a taste of what it would be like when that thing isn't there anymore is the thing that actually gives you the appreciation for that thing. So sometimes these tests, this adversity that we go through is very important in making sure that we don't take the good parts of our life for granted as long as we can hold good habits throughout those entire things. So I know I've been ranting a long time, Santi, and it honestly has been feeling quite therapeutic. But I, I want to switch it over to you and hear about the extreme adversity that you've gone through in your life and when you've gone through it and still despite that pushed through with all of your good habits and good routines and everything and how you felt during that experience and how you looked back on that experience. Right. There isn't just one experience I can think of in my past where it was an example of where I pushed through and yada, yada. I mean, there's, there's so many different examples and there have been obviously certain times and periods in my life that have been more challenging and characterized by adversity than others. Um, a lot of those things I've already talked about before, but just to kind of give a breakdown of adversity, you could think of really two main forms or um, types of adversity if you want to segment it. This is a certain framework of thinking about it. So the first is adversity where someone does something harmful to us or to someone who we care about. 
right? And this is an example of what Mike is going through. Like he mentioned, he's not going to get too specific. We're still at a stage in our lives where we're trying to figure out what the right amount of um, information is to give a, a public audience, given our current life circumstances. Maybe down the road, we'll be a little bit more um, open and specific about certain things. But for the moment, uh, just bear with us in not always giving um, super, super specific information. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't, depending on the nature of the situation and how long ago it happened. But in this situation, it was something that happened to him by someone else, um, as well as someone else in his life. So um, in these sorts of situations, um, a lot of the things are out of our control. Uh, the way other people act is outside of our control. What we can control is our response and what the Stoics would call our reason choice. One way to respond to certain things is to set boundaries. Now, if someone already transgressed in a certain way prior to you being able to set a boundary, yeah, you know that, that is unfortunate. Um, hopefully you can set better boundaries moving forward. In certain situations, if the person is being uh, particularly malevolent or abusive, then you may even the boundary may not be enough to stop that sort of action. And you'll have to try to figure out um, a course of action from that point moving forward. And, and those are very typically very... Um, those experiences tend to be few and far between uh, unless you are, let's say, in school and you have someone who's bullying you chronically. That's a very tough situation. And I don't think any children listen to this podcast, so it's not very relevant. But you, what I'm saying is there's a lot of nuances here and there's a lot of different situations that you as an individual are going to have to take into account the very specific set of circumstances that you're in to take the best action moving forward. But I think in terms of a mindset, right, in terms of how you can think about approaching this, it's understanding that I can't control what other people do and how they behave. There is a certain subset of people, a minority, I would argue, who do have bad intent and who do have um, bad intentions and who do act out in ways that tend to be harmful towards other people. It's important to understand that ultimately, Every single human has the capacity to do harm. It's, it's how we choose to move forward. It's, how, it's what actions we decide to take that really make the difference. And the people who tend to do harm to other people are ultimately acting from a place of unconsciousness. They are unconscious and they are behaving in NPC-like behavior that is geared towards malevolence. And unfortunately, that has a net negative impact on other sentient life and on the collective consciousness. However, what's important to understand what I've come to realize is that these people who act in these unconscious ways where they are directing negative energy towards people, not just unintentionally being harmful, because we all kind of do that to some extent. Maybe, you know, you're using more energy than, you're, <clears throat> than, than is ideal and it's causing, you know, a negative effect on the environment. That's, that's different. But people who are, are intentionally acting badly towards other people to try to hurt them that is ultimately stemming from a place of unconsciousness where they don't realize that the true nature within the person they're harming is the same as the true nature within themselves. And when people do that to someone else, short term, it may cause more harm to the person that they're directing that towards. But in the medium to long run, it actually hurts themselves even more from a karmic standpoint. And I, I truly believe that what comes around goes around. When I was really young in school, like grade school, I used to be really mean to a lot of my classmates. I used to bully them, tease them. And I was acting from a very unconscious place. 
I was acting from a place of insecurity. I was acting out based on my own traumas and, and insecurities that I had based on things that were going on in my household. And so I projected that onto other students at my school who I saw as being inadequate, who I saw as being uh, having flaws or being I perceived as being less than me or weaker than me or, or more vulnerable than myself. And so I decided to pick on them to try to boost my own ego. Now, as a result of this down the road, it wasn't immediate at the time. I was thought, oh, I'm just making fun of these kids. It's no big deal. Um, I felt good. I mean, quote unquote, good. I didn't really feel good, but my ego felt like it was being bolstered up, which in the moment kind of felt good. There's a sort of high you might get from that, but down the road, it resulted in, me developing really, really bad anxiety, really, really bad depression, um, getting bullied myself during certain chapters of my life, and then also experiencing a lot of isolation. And I'm not talking about chosen isolation, chosen solitude, which is different, but like feeling the sense of, of loneliness and isolation that I not that I was not actively choosing. So it wasn't coming from this spiritual this place of spiritual discipline. And I believe that a lot of that stuff, not maybe not all of it. But a lot of that stuff that I went down, uh, went through many years later, this was many years after I was mistreating other kids, was the result of what I did when I was younger. Yes, I can't prove that, but I really do. I, you, you, you talk to a lot of different people on the spiritual path who believe in karma. They will tell you that, yeah, if you put out negative energy towards people and you mistreat them, eventually that negative energy is going to come back towards yourself. And so it's, it's important to... to to actually, if, if you're really ascending to like the highest levels of consciousness, to actually have compassion for those people who are doing bad things. I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not completely there myself, but someone like Gandhi, let's say, I'm reading the autobiography of Gandhi right now. He was a big advocate of this concept of ahimsa, which is the direct translation is just nonviolence, which was the basis of his form of protesting, nonviolent protest. But beyond just nonviolence, what it really means is actually having compassion and empathy for everyone, even if they do harm to you. And Gandhi was the kind of guy where if someone would, there were literally times where he would be physically beaten up for um, standing his ground or for, or for staying true to his beliefs. And he would not resist. He would not fight back. And he would, he reported in his autobiography that there were certain times where a friend would hear about it or someone in his network would hear about it and they'd say, hey, we should press charges towards that person for doing that to you. And, and Gandhi would say, I, I forgave them the moment after it happened. Now that, that's like the highest level of, of, that, of that sort of notion of ahimsa. And I'm not saying that everyone should try to, that if, if, if people don't aspire to that or reach that level, then, then they're failing. But the point is that as we move forward on, on this path of spirituality, we try to be understanding of the fact that the people doing harm to us, they don't really know what they do. There's a Jesus that said, like, they forgive them. They know not what they do. In the moment, our egos, it's hard for us to understand that. And what we want to do is we want to lash back. What we want to do is either we want to play the victim role and say, woe is me. My life is hard. Why is my life so difficult? Or we become aggressive and angry and we try to fight back. Um as humans, like we're, we're not always going to be perfect and it's okay to take on these sort of, um, these sort of identities in our mind. Hopefully we don't identify with those things long-term and we can quickly bring our awareness to the fact that those are illusions and that they aren't going to serve our higher selves. They're only serving the very temporary and 
dual nature of our egos. And so we try to rise above that in order to get to this place of higher consciousness. Um, Again, I know I'm I'm kind of preaching right now and there are many (laughs) every day, not every day, but there's many times still where someone does something, I don't like it, you know, uh, usually I don't actually lash out, but definitely my thoughts um, aren't uh, aren't aligned with what I'm describing here all the time. But this is sort of just the framework that we try to to get to over a long period of time. Um, it's funny we had we had Jason Brown over a few a few episodes ago. He said it doesn't have to take a long time for these sorts of things. For some people it will, for some people it won't. Um, certain people will have insights with regards to a certain aspect of life that just click right away. And they integrate it and they internalize it. And I've experienced this with certain things. But then for other sorts of um, ideas, concepts, actions, aspects of the spiritual path, it'll take longer to integrate and to internalize. Um, And everyone's a little bit different. So don't judge yourself for where you are on your journey and the certain areas where maybe you're under indexing compared to other areas of your life, where maybe you're a little bit more evolved. We're not going to always be one for one in every aspect of spirituality. The other things that I also want to mention are, um, oh yeah, I'm stemming back all the way to the beginning of what I was talking about. There's two types of adversity, right? So there's the adversity of other people doing things to us, which is what I've been describing. And then there's the, the adversity of what goes on within our own minds. And this, there's obviously an overlap with the bad things that people do to us. But I would say that for most of life, the, the real adversity is gaining mastery over our own minds, dealing with the adversity of all of the negative thoughts and emotions that are arising from within us just due to past conditioning, past experiences, just due to the nature of being a human being. Um, there's going to be the, the battle within, right? Which is the primary battle that I have been facing for my, for my whole life. And I think that if anyone who's conscious, uh, they'd agree is it's how can I not let negative emotions, limiting beliefs, disempowering beliefs, um, and trauma from my past run me and cause me to, to lower my vibration and behave in ways that are not conducive to, um, the well-being of myself and of others. And so there's adversity is a two, two-sided coin because it can, definitely result in resilience and growth if you decide to transmute that adversity into ways that allow you to improve and to frame things that that have happened to you in ways that are positive. Um, Something can happen and you can frame it as this was terrible. I wish this never happened. This is ruining my life. Or you can frame it as, hey, I'm, I'm somewhat grateful that this actually happened because now I can have more compassion for other people who have gone through the same thing. Now I, I know that I got through that experience and if it happens again, I know that I can handle it. And so it's, it's good in that it can build resilience and growth, but adversity can also cause trauma. And if that trauma is not properly processed and healed, it can run you and cause you to get triggered in certain situations, which then cause you to behave in unconscious ways. And so it's important that if, you go through a certain um, phase or experience that, of adversity that causes trauma that we try to do the inner work to actually heal it, which will allow us to come to a place of full alignment. Yeah. And I want to clarify that we do understand that this is all easier said than done. 
it's 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 very difficult to to go through these these experiences it's difficult to you know grieve a, a loved one it's difficult to go through heartbreak but i think that's the point it's we aren't we aren't meant to live a perfect life heaven doesn't exist because heaven is death and like if you don't want to experience any emotions then you might as well just be dead right it's like or to experience any negative emotions there's always going to be the yin and yang but i i know sansi that you do say that and, and i do want you actually i'm going to ask you right now there's this idea that as a human being if you're if you've evolved to a higher level of consciousness you basically don't experience negative emotions i haven't actually talked to anyone who's in that state but i like i feel like they still experience negative emotions i i guess it depends on who you're talking about if you're talking about the 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 true like mystics and yogis who have like literally transcended the physical world and they're just in this non-dual state i think that they don't i think we just they're just so rare um like paramansa yogananda right and people who probably have heard of him, the autobiography of a yogi is his um, famous book of his. He literally, when he died, and of course there's going to be people who are skeptical of this and, and maybe they're right. But when he, when he died, he was giving a speech at some sort of event. And he literally said something along the lines of, and now at this moment, I am choosing to relinquish this physical form and return to oneness with God. And boom, in that moment, he died. He died, quote unquote, died. And his body just stopped. Some people thinking maybe he took poison beforehand and timed it. I don't know. That guy, if you look at photos of him, his eyes were so – there's a presence in his eyes. Just look up a photo of um, Paramansa Yogananda. You, you can type in his name and maybe like Paramansa Yogananda stare. And you can see – if you look at his photo, his eyes are just there's, – there's just a certain level of energy to them that you don't oftentimes see. Um, I think another one is uh, another um, – Guru was the guru of Ramdas, um, Neem Karoli Baba. That guy apparently took uh, like like twelve hits of LSD and, ex- and didn't experience anything because he was already in like a crazy expanded state of consciousness. So taking a psychedelic isn't even going to affect him because he's already in that state. So I think that theoretically there are some edge cases and some anomalies. I would say of people who are able to get there, but it's such a it's a fraction of a percent of a, of the population. So. You're right, but also I think there are some examples of, of very extreme cases. Yeah, my old yoga teacher told me that there were some people that were just predisposed to want to follow that path. He told me that his teacher, and, I, and I'm going to butcher this, but just for the sake of the story, I'm going to tell it. His teacher was doing like this, uh, this like... My so my Vedic meditation teacher went to this three month long meditation retreat. You would say um, in Sedona, where they meditate fourteen hours a day. Uh, they sleep like three hours a day because when you're meditating that long, you really don't need sleep. Um, and there's there was this one guy that because they they do this apparently all around the world, um, but there was this one guy who basically like snuck in to this thing and even after he would keep sneaking in he wanted to keep doing it he wanted to keep meditating for 14 hours a day he just he was just like it's just the thing that like he enjoyed doing for whatever reason um and then that's that's the guy who like 
people i forget his name i think it was uh mira mira josh nah, I'm, I'm not gonna butcher it but he, he was one of the people that said had like god consciousness and stuff like that and he literally meditated in a hotel for like a year or two or for like 700 days straight or something like that um because his his masters literally told him go in the hotel and meditate we'll come back and get you when when you're ready and he just stayed there for like a year or two and just was like meditating and would, would go down to like the front desk to like eat but then would go back up and meditate and like just do the cycle all over again i think there is some predisposition for people to want to do that you know what i mean but m- maybe there's not maybe innately we all want to do that but then you know certain circumstances lead to certain people being able to get out of their own way enough to like want to do something like that. But at the same time, it's like, I don't think everyone wants to become a monk, you know, not, not everyone wants to, but some people, maybe it's based on their experiences. Maybe it's based on their upbringing. Maybe there's a fucking soul. I don't know. I I have no idea what's going on. I don't think anyone really knows what's going on. Um, But where where were we again? Why why are we talking about God consciousness right now and, and how it's like random? Well, you're asking if certain people uh, don't experience negative emotions or have negative thoughts. If, if their level of consciousness is of a certain, um, of a degree of certain expansiveness, then perhaps they don't. Uh, they probably experienced it at some point in their life. They must have, right? I don't think they were born, literally coming out of the womb and being born, you're experiencing negative emotions. You're just not able to articulate them. But once the water breaks, before the baby even leaves, is actually born, once the water breaks apparently is what... Um, What's his, what's his name? Uh, the guy who does the breath work, um, psychedelic. Stanislav Grof says that the first trauma, quote unquote, is uh, when the water breaks because that's when the baby first experiences cold. Like it's the first time it experienced the sensation of, of not being warm. And that's, you know, that's an uncomfortable emotion. So unless that, unless those, um, you know, Yogananda and Maharaji and all these other people, you know, they, did, they didn't, they were so conscious even as a baby that they didn't, um, that they didn't experience negative emotions that maybe I don't, they probably did at some point in their life, but I think eventually they got to a point where they, they weren't experiencing that anymore, but we can only conjecture. We can only kind of imagine what it might be or have been like for them when they were doing that. Um, so it's, it's really not possible to know, but I do think that, um, like you mentioned, some people just have more of a predisposition. I think that has to do with our Dharma, which is our essentially our purpose, but it's also not just our purpose, but our life path. I think that different people have a different set of gifts and a different set of talents and a different set of kind of sensitivities and perspective on the world that is the result of just their path through whatever God has has sprung into them as a unique form of life. Even though we're all the same, we're also all unique and different at the same time. And, you know, that's why it's important for certain people to recognize what gifts they have and then bring that to the world and not to try to compare your path with someone else's because everyone everyone has a different path and they have a different set of strengths and gifts and some people are going to be able to have more energy for longer periods of time some people are going to have greater physical attributes some people are going to have just a better ability to socialize with other people and connect with people and so you, it's not important to compare yourself to others it's, it's okay what are my set of strengths and how can i double down on those to have the greatest impact on the world i think that's what's what's most important um, rather than comparing ourselves to others. And, and the other thing I'll, I'll say before I just hop it right back over to you is in the Bhagavad Gita, one of the things, I'm not going to quote it because I'm going to fail at doing so, 
but paraphrasing one of the parts of that book, it says that it is much better to pursue your unique path in your dharma based on your what your what your intuition is guiding you to do and to pursue that and fail than to walk someone else's path and succeed than to live a false life of success doing what someone else you think you're supposed to do based on what other people are doing than to it's worse to do that and 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 succeed and do well at that than it is to walk what path you're meant to walk agreed yeah. And I, I've recently come to, I'm not going to say I've come to that crossroads, but when I started this journey, I was very adamant about, you know, I want to be a successful music producer and that's what I want to do. And like, I'm going to do whatever I possibly can to get to that point. And like my opinion of that has evolved over, you know, the last few years where it's like, yeah, I love doing this and I'm going to keep doing it for the rest of my life. However, what matters to me more than achieving career success is having people that I care about to share it with. And if I'm just going to burn all my bridges to get to the point where I'm I'm at the top, then I'm not even going to appreciate that as much because I'm not going to have anyone to share it with. So it's like, I mean, yeah, you should be able to just share the experience with yourself. Just be like happy that, you know, you didn't go back on your word and you worked hard and you got to this point, but it's like, how much like at the end of the day, does that really matter that you get to this point of like success and, and fame or anything else, even if you have a good mindset, even if you have a good mindset the entire time and you're doing routines and all this stuff, but the entire time you're just kind of like burning bridges. You're like any, anyone who's just like not even, in alignment with anything that you're doing at all. You're just like, no, you know what? I'm just going to like focus on myself and do this thing. And then you finally get there and you don't really have anyone to share it with that. Just, I don't really want to put myself in that situation. So I think for me, what matters most is making sure that I foster good relationships along the way, which means that if I'm, if it's going to take me longer to get where I want to go, because I care more about, you know, wanting to have a good community and, and all this stuff. And, and really, I don't, I don't really care about becoming success, successful and famous because at the end of the day, most successful and famous people who don't have like healthy relationships that are kind of like supporting them through this entire thing end up kind of regretting not fostering good relationships during that time. And also the high of success and fame does not last very long. And like we, we can hear testimonies from literally like almost every single person who has gotten successful and realized that it wasn't it. Jim Carrey being one of them. And I'm always going to use him as an example because he was like so uberly successful. And now, and now look where he is now. He's just like, yeah, that shit doesn't fucking matter. He's like, I wish that everyone could achieve their, their wildest dreams to realize that it's not the answer. Right. And it's like, I knew, I knew deep down that like, even when I do that, it's not going to be the answer. But when you go through adversity, like I've been going through, um, it really does help you put that even more into perspective that at the end of the day, having, a support system and having people that love you and you 
um, showing gratitude towards them is always going to be the thing that gets you through adversity, not success, not fame, not these egoic constructs that we only experience when we're, when we're in playing this character, fostering the thing that is actually going to get you through the hard times is probably the most important thing that you can do. Right? So what, what does that mean? That means your, your mindset, that means your, your physical health, that means your spiritual health, that means your relationships with other people. That should always be the most important thing I've learned because before it was my career is the most important thing. As a man, I'm going to make sure I pursue my mission and nothing is going to get in the way. It's like, yeah, that's important, but relationships, in my opinion, like, and love and like having support and showing your support to other people has taken more precedence in my life as of late. And I don't really feel bad for that. I I think that you should pursue your career. It doesn't matter what gender you are. You should pursue your career and what you want to do and what is going to fulfill you. But you should do that alongside fostering healthy relationships and making sure that like you develop a mindset and a body that allows you to get through the inevitable hard times like grief or becoming successful and then realizing that it's not it and then not having anyone to turn to and literally having to go through all that and be depressed by yourself. I do agree with that very much. I think um, it's important to define like success. Uh, Success is is subjective, right? It's when people hear the word success in Western culture, it, it typically has to do with financial success um, gaining clout in your career, accumulating a lot of things, having a big home, having a lot of, uh, you know, high, what are considered like high value, prestigious uh, material possessions, a lot of designer jewelry and clothing. Like this is the stereotypical definition of success. And when we say that we think success is not important or it isn't, it shouldn't be the main focus. What we mean is, is the stereotypical kind of conventional uh, definition of success. Uh, whereas, Another version of success for more of an Eastern paradigm might be um, having a lot of loving relationships and being of service to your local community, right? And so you have to define what success is for you, and hopefully you aren't defining it based on what would be called like a false god, right? The false god of approval is a big one, right? That's what Mike was talking about, fame, wanting, wanting recognition, wanting approval, wanting attention for your achievements and your accomplishments, it's this false god of approval that if I get enough approval, enough attention, then I will be fulfilled. My, my cup will be filled and I'll feel whole. And what many, many celebrities and, and people who have achieved this Western form of success have realized, like Jim Carrey, like Rain Wilson, you know, I just heard a podcast with him. He's the guy from The Office. I just heard a podcast of him recently and he talked about this. There's many, many celebrities um, who come to the realization that it ends up being very short-lived in terms of not necessarily the fame. They might be famous for a long time, but the the high that they get from that might be very short-lived. And some people don't even end up getting a high from it. They actually end up being very disappointed when the time comes. When Tom Bilyeu, who's the founder of Impact Theory, like sold his business and, and got a bunch of money, he actually felt um, kind of this sense of like emptiness and lack of purpose. A lot of high, highly successful entrepreneurs experience this when they take their company public or when they, they do some sort of exit and sell it for millions of dollars, they end up kind of feeling like directionless afterwards. And so it's important, I think, though, to, to have a mission, um, but that mission doesn't have to be your career. And that's another kind of um, 
that's another sort of false notion that people have is that my mission needs to be directly tied with what I'm doing to make money. Your mission can be to serve God. Your mission can be to become the most conscious and healed and whole version of yourself. Um, and I think that having a mission, especially as a man, is extremely important to have as the number one part of your life to support everything else. But hopefully that mission is aligned with your values and hopefully that those values that you have are aligned with your higher self, right? And, and coming from a place of consciousness and coming from a place of um, positive and um, yeah, positive values that are beneficial to to your well-being and to that of others. The problem is that people oftentimes have misalignments in these things. Their values are misplaced. They have values that they think is going to provide them happiness and well-being, but they actually don't. So if your values are all on the lines of, I want a lot of money, I want a lot of attention, I want a lot of friends, I want a lot of this, this, that, material possessions, all this stuff, well then, yeah, if your mission is then going to stem from those values, so your mission might be, my mission is to become very successful in my career and make a lot of money. Um, If that is your mission and those are your values, you probably are going to eventually reach a point in your life where you regret chasing that. Um, hopefully you come to that realization sooner rather than later. Uh, some people come to that realization when they're already, you know, in the later stages of life and they end up having a lot of regrets. Uh, there's a book, I believe it's titled, titled like the five regrets of the dying, something along those lines. And none of the things that people say they regret, there's, there's no one who is on their deathbed or in the later stages of their life that says they wish that they would have worked more. No one says that. Uh, they say they want to. They wish they had spent more time with people. They wish they had uh, cultivated more meaningful experiences. And so, I do think it is important to have a mission. Um, I don't think that you should outsource or lease your well-being to other people. That being said, it's important. It is important to cultivate meaningful relationships and to prioritize um, close friendships and close romantic relationships and close family relations in order to truly thrive. Um, I think it's more meaningful to maybe go a little bit more slowly along your path, but have that support than to go very, very quickly um, and and just not have any sort of real meaningful connections in your life. So those are kind of my thoughts on all of those things. Yeah. I don't really have anything else for this podcast. I mean, All I really came here to say today is that contrast forces gratitude. I've said it, I said it at the beginning and it's, it's very important that we don't take the good things in our life for granted. If everything was good all the time, then we probably would end up taking them for granted because we have no contrast to compare them to. It's, it's, it's why it's almost like a tolerance. It's why the more you do something and, and like the more you don't have like the low associated with that, the, the more tolerance you build towards it, the more you have to do it. I mean, also the the lower that the lows are, that, that's literally every drug ever or literally just, any, it's just like the concept of the reality that we live in. It, it could apply to video games. It can apply to working out. It can apply to working, like literally anything. The more high you get from something, the more low that you're eventually going to have to deal with, Right. But I guess a, one way to not circumvent this, but to kind of like help in this process is, is a practice of gratitude. Um, one of my teachers actually just recommended that there, there's a certain gratitude practice 
that I, I did in class. And it involves in five minutes, you set a five minute timer. And in that time, you write down everything that you could possibly think that you're grateful for instead of doing a practice where it's like, here are three things that I'm grateful for, where it's like, you kind of have to like try to think a little bit when you're on the timer and it's just like write everything down. You actually come up with way more things than you think. Like when I did, I came up with like 27 things I was grateful for in five minutes. And it's like sometimes when, when we're just like write down four things, it could, okay, let, let me think. What are like the most important? It's like, no, like another thing is like, you can be as grateful as like, if there, if there's a glass of water, just like on the desk, this is, this is another, um, a quote from my teacher who we actually might have on the podcast pretty soon. If there's a glass of water on the desk that you poured for yourself and, you know, you're thirsty and you see that you like your past self poured yourself a glass of water. If you can be as grateful for that moment as like you are for the love of your mother, then you're going to, you're going to live a very gracious life. It's like gratitude can just be for, for any little thing. You can find gratitude in the little things. It doesn't just have to be for the big things, which is why I think a practice like this might be more efficient for people. I'm, I'm personally going to uh, try to implement it into my routine, just like a five, it's just five minutes. Sometimes gratitude practices in the past have taken me 20 minutes because I don't know like how to think. The second I go on the timer, I can come up with so many things that I'm grateful for. So I'm just, I'm just going to throw that out there in case anybody wants to, you know, uh, put that into their routine because gratitude can definitely help us not take things for granted. And even when our life is going well, can like allow us to develop a healthy mindset that when things aren't going well, we can like pull from that, that gratitude. Uh, that's all I have for this podcast. I was going to end it with a quote. Santi, do you have anything else to say? Well, I am happy. I'm grateful that you're starting to come around to gratitude because if you all listen to earlier episodes of this podcast, when I talk about gratitude, Mike, says that, oh, you know, I try being grateful, but I don't feel grateful when I say it. And uh, it seems like maybe you're, you're a little bit more open-minded to it now. I can say that for myself, um, gratitude is one of the, one of the main pra- spiritual practices that I do almost every day. I do gratitude and prayer at the end of each day. Some people like to do it in the beginning. I do it at the end of the day. And I try to think of, like I've mentioned before, just the simple things. It doesn't need to be the big things. And, and actually practicing gratitude for more simple things tends to actually be more effective in my experience at cultivating more gratitude because you're training. If you want to take the scientific approach, we always talk about the reticular activating system. You're training your RAS to pick up on very small things that are to your benefit that you usually just take for granted and don't realize like having a glass of water. If you have access to clean water to drink every day, that is a huge privilege and something to be extremely grateful for. If you have, you don't have to worry about where you're going to get your next, next meal, something to be extremely grateful for. If you can breathe fully and freely and you're not you know, struggling to get oxygen, which is pretty much if pretty much every single person, even if you're poor, you can breathe. That is something to be extremely grateful for. It actually reminds me of um, like when I, just a quick side note, like when I, um, when I train jujitsu and I train, there's this one guy in my, in my class who's a heavyweight. He's like my height, but he weighs 275 pounds. He's like a hundred pounds heavier than me. And he's been wrestling since he was like five years old when he's on top of me. And he's like, it's called like a full mount. He's on top of me. 
I literally like get to a point where I like I'm in survival mode. Like I cannot breathe. So literally like having that experience contrasted with just being able to go about my day where I'm walking around and I can breathe, it makes me extremely grateful. So it's like Mike says, the contrast uh, helps to facilitate more gratitude of like going through hard things, like not being able to breathe and then finally being able to afterwards. Um, and there's obviously many other examples. That's one aspect to it. And then also focusing on very simple things throughout your day. And you, it, does, it doesn't also have to be a time to practice. It can be literally just going through your day, focusing on certain things that you're grateful for. Um, maybe it's before each meal, you, you practice gratitude. I do like a little prayer before most of my meals, just thanking God for the food that I'm about to consume that is going to give me, it's, it's a very short prayer. I just say, God, thank you for the food that I'm about to eat. I am grateful for the life force energy that it is going to, going to provide my body, my mind, and my soul. Thank you. Um, gratitude is, it's life-changing. There's even scientific research on the benefits of gratitude. So I highly encourage people to start incorporating this into their lives. And I'm happy, Mike, that you are now starting to incorporate this as well. Nice. Yeah, I'm going to try. And just one last thing before I say this quote, you know, there was a point in our lives when Santi and I, I, I would, you know, I'm not harping on our the past versions of ourselves, but we were pretty weak minded, you know, and we were very unconscious at some points in our journeys. That's okay. If you're feeling like that, it's like, it's totally normal. It's, it's something that, you know, it, it it's another form of contrast where it's like, sometimes we have to get stuck in the matrix and be unconscious and not deal with emotions well to finally get to the point where we're able to do so. So just, just know that it's hard, but understand that if you can hold out and you can do so from a place of awareness and despite all the troubles that you're going through, still maintain healthy practices. I promise you, you will look back on it in a month and you will be extremely proud on yourself of yourself and it will help your confidence and it'll help you push towards your goals and aspirations in the future. And with that, I'm going to end on a quote by Arthur Golden. Adversity is like a strong wind. It tears away from us all but the things that cannot be torn so that we can see ourselves as we really are. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Chasing Presence podcast. If you enjoyed it, please spread the word by telling your family and friends and by sharing it on social media. You can also show us your support by leaving a review. Also, if you'd like to get in touch with us, our contact information is in the show notes. Please send us a message as we'd love to hear from you and get your feedback. As always, thanks again for listening. Stay present and have a great day.